Once again, good morning. Let me wake up a little bit. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you much better. Uh, we um, we are in uh, in the lectionary this summer, and it, um, the lectionary, if you don't know what that is, is, is basically a, a plan of readings that's set on a three-year cycle um, that when we're not in a sermon series, actually provides the readings for us, um, which is helpful because otherwise it, I think there are a few people who would actually choose to read Amos, um, except the lectionary is making us do it. And frankly, I'm blessed by it. It really is quite an amazing book, and I would encourage you all to, to pick it up um, and, and take a look at it um, because Amos is a pretty amazing guy. He was a prophet um, in 700 B.C. in the northern kingdom of Israel, in the 700s, somewhere in there. And he was proclaiming um, God's word to the people in the north country, the northern, um, the northern Israel. And, and you've heard of Isaiah, right? Most of you have heard of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet, and he um, proclaimed God's word to kings, and he dined in royal palaces, and although he had difficult things to say, he was still listened to. Well, Amos didn't really have that luxury. He was a shepherd. Uh, we read about it last week. He proclaimed God's word, and they kicked him out of town. They, they didn't want anything to do with little shepherd Amos, and yet still he proclaims uh, the word of God, and, and we've got to consider the history a little bit to get a handle on what's happening in this book. We have to know a little bit about the history of Israel. Um, during that time, all of the East was, uh, was either threatened or controlled by the Assyrians. Now, these, this was a wicked, wicked army. I mean, they would come in and they were, whenever they, they overtook somebody or a nation, no trace of that nation was ever left. And for years, the Assyrians had been threatening Israel. But, um, but there was some turmoil in Assyria. The nation uh, weakened a little bit, and they couldn't, they couldn't press. They couldn't come into Israel, and so they retreated a little bit um, to kind of wait out the storm and regroup. And in that time, Israel had a pretty stable government. They had a pretty good climate. The crops were growing. People were buying. The economy, if you will, was flourishing for the nation of Israel in that time after the Assyrians backed off. And so they were doing very well. They were making money, they were enjoying life, lots of prosperity, and they were thinking, wow, God surely is blessing us. We must have done something right. He made our enemies retreat, He's given us good weather, He's given us crops, He's given us money. The blessings of God have been poured out on us. But God, and subsequently Amos, saw something very different. Very different. They didn't see prosperity, but they saw unjust social structures where the wealthy were making lots of money at the expense of the poor. They didn't see thanksgiving from the people of Israel. They saw hollow, superstitious worship, if you will, that, that, that thought if we go through the motions and we do and say the right things, God will continue to bless us. God and Amos, they didn't see the blessing of God. They saw the coming judgment of God to a nation that had turned from him. And so Amos, the book of Amos, is about that broadly, and we're going to look today then at chapter 8, this prophecy from Amos. He, um, 
he, he sees a basket of ripe fruit. Some translations call it summer fruit, but the idea that the fruit is, is, is ready, it's there, it needs, something needs to be done with it. We went on vacation a few weeks ago. We were gone for two weeks. Now, I don't know, what's the last thing you do before you go on vacation? In our house, the last thing we do is to take out the garbage. We take it out because we don't want to leave, you know, nasty, smelly garbage in the house for two weeks. And so, last thing we do is take out the garbage. Well, we forgot. And so, we went on vacation. We were gone for two weeks. And we came back. And the banana peels and the orange peels that were fine, you know, they were ripe when we ate them and put them in the garbage can, were pretty nasty. And there were fruit flies everywhere. All over the kitchen, fruit flies, nasty smell of garbage. The, the, the garbage can stunk. And it's this idea that the fruit is ripe, but, it, ripe, but, but if, if something doesn't happen to that garbage, it's going to spoil. It's going to go bad. I wish that I had cast my judgment on that garbage can before I went on vacation. Because it got pretty bad in there. And that's what Amos is saying um, to God's people. He's saying, God, God says, Amos, what do you see? And Amos says, well, I see a, a basket of fruit. Ripe fruit, and God says, yes, and the nation of Israel is ripe. It is time. Their, their sins, their iniquities have, have bubbled up. If I don't do something with them now, it's going to be really bad. And so it was time for judgment. And here's what I want you to realize this morning. And what I want you to, if you take away one thing from this whole sermon, uh, my, my points are just supporting this one thing, is that God's judgment is an act of grace. His judgment is an act of grace. Or another way you might put it, God's judgment is a revelation of His love for His people. Now, we don't often think about it that way. We think of it as, as punishment. Um, but, but, but rather, I want you to consider it judgment as love, as grace. And we're going to look at why. Um, the first thing is simply this. God has loving, graceful reasons for judging the nation of Israel. Let's read verses 4 to 6. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we, make, that we may make the epath small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances. Verse 6, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chafe of the wheat. There are two reasons that God is bringing his judgment on Israel that we can discern in this passage. And the first one is this, that the wealthy of Israel is oppressing the poor to get more money. Verse 4 talks about them trampling, the poor being trampled upon by the wealthy. Or verse 6 is talking about buying the poor, purchasing the poor, putting them in slavery so that they could work, so they could make more money for the nation of Israel. It talks about selling the chafe of the wheat, selling the remains of the wheat. You're supposed to leave some wheat in the field so that the poor would have something to eat, so they could come and glean from the remainder. But these folks are talking about selling that, making money at the expense of others. We just talked last week about loving our neighbors and how that was a sign of love for God. And this is the opposite of that, the complete opposite. 
God's judgment was coming on the nation of Israel because they were, were becoming wealthy at the expense of a huge number of people. And the second reason um, was, was this, that their worship was hollow. Their worship was meaningless. Look here in the middle of those verses that I just read you. Um, verse 5. The folks are saying, when will the noon be, new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale. When the new moon, the, the, there's, there's feast days where they worship and praise God. The Sabbath where they worship and praise God. And they're sitting there and they're listening to this sermon and they're looking at their watches. Like, when is this thing going to be over? When is the Sabbath going to be done so we can go out and make more money at the expense of others? Their worship, they're just going through the motions. They're just, they're, they're praying and they're offering sacrifices not for any particular reason other than to continue to get God's blessing. Let's get this over with so we can go make some more money and we'll come back and do it again next week and God will keep blessing us. It was hollow worship. And so God, um, he's saying, judgment is coming because of this. Judgment is coming, and this is a graceful thing. I imagine the folks who were poor, who were being oppressed, who weren't, who weren't um, getting the benefits of all this wealth, I bet they were pretty happy that there was judgment coming, that there was rescue coming, that someone was going to help them. This is a graceful reason for judgment. Um, this is stated very eloquently in Amos chapter 5, and I'll just read this, and and um, let these words just, let them flow over you. It's amazing um, what he says. God speaks through Amos. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God is not interested in our worship if it's solely for personal gain. He's not interested in worship if you think if you worship God the right way that he's going to bless you um, with money or success or or, or whatever it is. That's not the worship God's looking for. If that's why you're here, that's great, and and I'm glad you're here. And don't get me wrong, I want you to stay here, but I invite you to, to, to let your heart be transformed. To let worship transform your heart. So instead of worshiping for personal gain, worship so that your heart might be melted, so it might be turned to others, so that, that your love of God might result in love of neighbor. Worship God because you love Him. And let Him show you how to love others. So the reason... Um, that God is bringing judgment on the nation of Israel is, is, is graceful. It's to, to, it's to provide to justice and righteousness and to turn the hearts of, of God's people back to him. And that also is um, the purpose of the judgment. So God, the reason God's judging Israel is because of what they're doing. Now there's a purpose in the judgment. He's judging them, um, he's judging them for a goal. 
There's something he's trying to accomplish with them. So if you'll read with me, we're going to jump down to verse 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not, listen to this, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is is fascinating to me. The famine that God speaks of, the judgment that God speaks of, the longing in the hearts of the Israelites that that they will be be looking for, that they will be wanting and desiring and pursuing, it's not food, it's not water, it's not land, it's not material things, but it's God Himself. This people that has been rejecting Him for centuries, when they experience the judgment of God, will all of a sudden be longing for Him. And wanting him and desiring him. In effect, they will realize what they're missing. They've been taking it for granted for so long. And when when it's gone, when the word of the Lord is not among them, when God has, has left them, has deserted them, they will so long for him. They will so desire for him and so want his presence with them. It's amazing to me. If you know what happens to these people, Assyria comes back. And, and they take over Israel. They, they deport them all, or they leave some. They deport others. I mean, the, the, if you, if you, maybe you've heard of the ten lost tribes of Israel. There were ten tribes in the northern kingdom. Israel came, I mean, Assyria came and depleted them. They, nobody's ever heard from them again. And in the midst of that, in the terror of that, in the scariness of that, Amos highlights what? That they're going to long for God. Not land, not money, not their houses. They're going to long for God. And that's the purposes of the judgment, is to create a longing for God. Or perhaps, let's read verse 8. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and every one mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again, like the Nile of Egypt? So here we have him referring to the, the great river, the Nile in Egypt, and what happens on the Nile. Same thing that happens on the Mississippi. Sometimes it floods. And it can flood to disastrous consequences. Many of us have seen pictures of Mississippi River flooding. They've gone to great lengths to keep that river in its walls so that it doesn't destroy land and property. But what happens after the flood? The land is fertile, isn't it? And some of the best soil in the world is on the Mississippi, on the banks of the Nile. It becomes fertile land because it floods, it deposits nutrients in the soil, and then it goes back. And so here we have God saying his judgment will be like the flooding of the Nile. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be fun. But when it's over, your hearts will be turned back to me. You'll have a longing and a desire to know me better, to serve me, to follow me. And so the the purposes of God's judgment are graceful. It's to draw us back into relationship with Him. It's to bring us back together. Kids, um, you know, I don't care. If you're still living with your parents, you need to listen to this. Sometimes your parents, well, probably not often. I'm sure you're not bad. But sometimes, maybe, you're going to be disciplined. You're going to have a punishment, a judgment, if you will, from your parents. 
They're doing this for a reason. It's not because they're mean, although you might think they are. It's not because they're, they're, um, they're just so old-fashioned that they're punishing you for these things. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. And that purpose is to draw you back to them, to draw you back in relationships, to draw you back to God. And, and, and you see this pattern in the Old Testament as well, is that, that God's people are judged and punished, and you see this in the New Testament, um, disciplined so that they could be brought back to God. There's a purpose for it. And then finally, and perhaps what this passage is about more than anything else, we find that the reason for God's judgment is graceful, the purposes of God's judgment are graceful, and then God's ultimate judgment is graceful. Let's read verses 9 and 10. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. That's graceful. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. On one hand, Amos is talking about a pretty immediate judgment, the judgment of Israel by the Assyrian armies. But, but when you read the prophets, so much of it is, um, uh, how do you describe it? It's like telescoping. So there's an initial judgment, there's an initial fulfillment of prophecy, but there's an ultimate one as well. There's something more here that Amos is pointing to. This is just a temporary judgment, but there is, there is a bigger judgment behind it. Um, keep in mind this one phrase. On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Does that sound familiar to anyone? This is from Matthew's Gospel. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. It's about noon to three or so. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. There's a far greater judgment than that of Israel by the Assyrian army. There's the judgment of God that falls upon Jesus Christ. Jeremiah refers to this judgment as the cup of wrath. And Jesus, when he prayed, when he sweated blood before he was arrested, he said, Lord, take this cup from me. Take this cup of wrath from me. But not my will be done, but yours. God's judgment that we so richly and rightly deserve. You read what's happening in Amos, and you you look at this world, and you say, has nothing changed? 
Jesus Christ takes that judgment on himself. The sun was darkened in the middle of the day. The rocks were split. God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The judgment of God fell on his only son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's gracious so we don't have to pay that penalty. So we don't have to receive that judgment. And when we stand before God on the last day, and he looks at us like he looked at the Israelites, and he says, it's your day of judgment. Have you worshipped me as you should? Have you loved your neighbor as you should? The answer to that question is no. For every single person in this room, the answer is no. But if you can say, but I know Jesus Christ. And he has taken my judgment for me. Then we will stand righteous before God. That's what's before us. That's the judgment laid out before us. And when we start to come to grips with that, when we start to realize that, when we start to realize the magnitude of God's love for us, then we can read Amos and we can be convicted and we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, go out and love our neighbors like we're being called to. We can worship God like he's calling us to worship him. We can know the power of the Holy Spirit. We can know the grace of Jesus Christ. And we can know the glory of God right now, right here. And so that's what's on the table. This morning, every morning, it's on the table. What, what do you, how are you going to receive the justice of God? How are you going to receive the judgment of God? As for me, I'm going to claim it through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to claim that righteousness. I'm going to hold tight to that. I'm going to invite the Lord to transform me that I can live it out when I leave this room. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so sorry. We, are, we, we repent from not loving you as you've called us to love you, from not serving others as you've called us to serve others. We accept your grace and forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that as we are transformed by your gospel, as we declare your gospel, as we proclaim it to others, that we would know that grace that we would know that mercy, that through your people, through your church, we pray, Lord, that justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May that happen through us, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand. Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.